Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Novak Djokovic reigns supreme in Dubai, Sabalenka rises to the top in Doha, and Maria Sharapova brings the curtain down on her career. And welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast run by fans, for fans, with your host, Joel and Kim. Today on the show, as always, we're going to be digesting the last couple of weeks on the ATP and WTA tours and having a look at what's been a very busy on and off court period for the players. We've had Kim Kleister's returning Heather Watson's resurgent form in the season continuing and of course Sharapova's farewell announcement as well. We'll throw in a bit of mysterious player and a few listener questions as well for good measure. So you're in for a treat this episode. We've got a lot of tennis to look forward to, Kim, but I feel like I feel like what's on my mind at the moment is all this uncertainty actually around the, the coronavirus. And is that is do you think it's gonna affect the tennis season? Have you started wearing a mask yet, Joel? <laughs> I mean, I know it's it's dreadful, isn't it? Because it's sort of everywhere. Like the media are just awash with it. You can't go anywhere without thinking or seeing something about it. But they haven't, as of yet, sort of been talking about it in, in tennis. Um, I feel it would be a different scenario if we were in the middle of the Asian swing right now. But fortunately, we're not. Yeah, I think the... I mean, I think the B, the B, the biggest talking point, the biggest uh, connection it has to tennis at the moment is the Olympics, because I know there's been talk around, you know, from, you know, do you cancel the Olympics or do you make it just a, a TV only event, which would be absolutely kind of you know crazy, in my opinion. But, you know, this is the sort of, you know, situation I guess we're at, at the moment. And, you know, <laughs> I would think about, you know, at the start of the season, we were kind of predicting the winners for each of the Grand Slams of the Olympics. And, you know, I don't think coronavirus was on my radar as the winner um, of the uh, of the tennis in, in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, let's hope that nothing has to be cancelled. I mean, I know they're cancelling other sporting events like some marathons and things like that. But, you know, Tokyo is a long way off. So we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll cross Fingers that bridge. Crossed. Yeah, Fingers exactly. <laughs> we don't want to get swept up with, you know, the panic that's kind of running uh, around the world at the moment. Um, but yeah, so much to talk about, though, Joel. Um, I feel like it's been about three months since we last um, recorded a pod. So <laughs> we've had like, a million tournaments take place as yeah. well across various continents. Um, let's start. Um, let's start with the tournaments that have happened this week. Uh, so we've had the big three. Uh, well, two of the big three, I guess, uh, return to the tour. Um, Djokovic uh, in Dubai, Nadal in Acapulco, and pretty much. I mean. To, almost to be expected they kind of picked up where they've uh you know left off and you know Djokovic in Dubai let's focus on that first of all uh you know he just kind of came through 
um, you know, got to the final, uh, beat Sissipas, uh, to claim his fifth title there, 6 3, 6 4. I mean, Monfils gave him a, you know, very good run for his money in, in the semi finals, but Djokovic still remains unbeaten this season. Yeah, he's on a 21-match win streak at the moment, um, which is still some way off, I think, his longest win streak, which I think is 41 matches. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he almost lost there in the semis. He had to save three matches close. against Monfils. Yeah, really close We match. spoke about Monfils as having a really good purple patch in his mm. career. I mean, he's playing some of the best tennis, you know, he's probably even ever, you know, ever played. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely pushed Djokovic uh, to the limit there and, you know, three match points, it, it, you know, and Djokovic was able to come through, you know, I, it just kind of hammers home for you just how tough it is to beat him. And even when kind of the, you know, the chips are down, you can never, you can never write off Novak Djokovic, can you? Absolutely not. And he will go into, you know, Indian Wells and, and obviously Miami as, as the, the clear favourite, uh, of course. But I mean, how how long do you think his win streak could, could go on for? Could, could he beat his previous record of, of 41? I mean, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, it, he did joke in his press conference afterwards about uh, going unbeaten and you know he he kind of laughed it off but I think yeah a few a few people were listening a few journalists were listening thinking well actually he is playing a level where you know that that you know that could happen I guess that could happen maybe um I'm you know I uh, well I guess we'll have to wait and see but I definitely think he could have you know maybe like five losses across the whole season, maybe. I think he's playing that that well. Mm, I mean, it's early days, isn't it? Really, we're we're only just in March, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's looking, you know, it's looking promising for him. I think it's looking ominous. Well, yeah, <laughs> ominous for everyone else. Really great if you're Djokovic <laughs> and his fans. Um, but Dan Evans as well in Dubai put up a really good show. Uh, got to the semi-finals, lost to Zitsipas in fairly you know straightforward fashion. But yeah, I mean, Dan Evans getting to a semi-final of an ATP 500 event, that's really good going. And he beat Rublev um, en route to the semis. So uh, I think he's back in the top 30 now. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, playing Sitsipas, you could see obviously the gulf between him and the, the top players. And that's obviously something that he's really got to focus on now. You know, um, it's like a massive difference really between him and them. But I mean, it was very impressive that he he reached the semis. Yeah, I mean, I think he is now 26 in the world, which is, you know, a massive, massive achievement. Mm, and really good. You know, he will be going into the Grand Slams, you know, as a, a seeded player. Um, you know, I think I think he's making the most of, you know, being on a hard court. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, can he play as a top 30 player on a clay court, for example, because I don't, think I've I've yet to see that but um it certainly kind of bodes well for him going into kind of the you know the rest of the season and you know living with that I guess living with that mantle of being you know the, the British number one because you know we've seen you know with some players when they get that sort of you know title you know like Osaka when she became world number one you know they you know, people I think players react differently but you know Evans has kind of taken it in his stride and you know he's producing some really you know really good results at the moment you know he beat Rublev in Dubai, I think he beat Kachanov as well, you know, the week before. So yeah, he's certainly putting some eye-catching uh, performances together. 
Yeah, um, exactly. And um, yeah, it bodes well. And I think so far he's certainly handling being British number one well. Um, let's go to Acapulco. So as we said, Rafa back back in uh, back on court and doing what he does best. And well, he just very very comfortably won the Acapulco. It was title. so routine. It was so, it was so, <laughs> so routine. routine. I don't <laughs> think he lost more than five games. I think or something or other in each in each match. And yeah, I mean, it, he wouldn't have to play sort of you know the hardest of opponents. I mean, he beat Taylor Fritz in the final six three six two, you know, very convincing fashion. And um, it's like just. Yeah, I mean, he sort of serenely proceeded through the draw. But um, interesting enough, he first won this title back in 2005 when it was on clay. Um, <laughs> so 15 years later, Rafa's still winning this tournament. Unbelievable. Uh, it's his third title in Acapulco and he's won it on both clay and, and it's now played on hard court. So I, I wonder if that's of... happened. I wonder if that's happened before where a player winning the same event on two mm. different two different surfaces uh, mm, good point that's a really good question well who knows listeners do you know is it do you know any players i'd i'm trying to think did i know federer won that year when madrid was on blue clay yeah but that's still clay isn't it and oh. i know they moved the hamburg tournament that used to be a master series and oh, they moved yeah. that to like after wimbledon but it's still clay so I'm not too sure about oh, okay. the anyway, service yeah. being changed. But <laughs> anywho, I mean, it was also a good result for Fritz. You know, he got to his fifth ATP final. Um, and so he's going up to a career high ranking of 24. So, you know, making moves as well. Um, and also we saw a fairly good week for Carl Edmund getting to the quarters in Acapulco. And he beat Felix Ojeda-Lassim en route to that. So, you know, promising from Kyle. Um, oh, I know. I thought he was going to kick on from there because Roger <laughs> Aliassim, you know, also has been in in very good form. You know, Bob. You know, Bob being in the finals. But mm. um, yeah, when you know, given a a quarter final against Fritz, I was expecting a li- I was expecting a little bit more. And maybe you know that's yeah. testament to how well I think you know Edmund's been playing recently. Because I don't know. I don't know what it is. Whether he's seeing you know Evans play really well and you know he's taking that in his stride and, and you want kind of you know, that almost kind of feeding his kind of competitive uh, nature. Um, but um, yeah, I was a bit like, oh, I thought he could have, he could have. Yeah, been it was a winnable, there. you know, opportunity and opening and actually would have been really interesting to have had, you know, for example, a Nadal-Edmund final. That would have been, that would have been great. But um, other happenings in Acapulco, Kyrgios was booed off the court. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> he's, he's back after, um after he has what well, he hasn't played since the Australian Open because of injury, and he didn't last very long in Acapulco because he retired with a wrist injury after the first set in the first round. Um, and Kyrgios, you know, defending champion in Acapulco, the crowd did not like the fact that he retired. They booed him off the court, um, which is a bit harsh if he's genuinely injured. Why are you booing a player? I mean, I I thought that because I, I, you know, when I saw him play, because I think he pulled out of the t- tournament he was meant to play the week before. I think I think he was meant to play Delray. Yeah, he, he, but, and but, New York um, and Delray Beach, he's pulled out of both of them. Yeah, but um, I thought it was um, yeah, it felt a bit like you know he was defending champ. He felt that he needed to be there possibly to kind of get some you know get some points, but um. You know, I th- I just thought kind of, you know, he's trying to play the good guy this season. And, you know, here he is. He's like, OK, guys, I'm not fully fit, but I'm still going to play some tennis to, you know, 
to appease the flans, but no, they still, still find a, they will still find a way to boo him. It seems maybe they just thought he was tanking, but I mean, I think in this case, you know, he has a genuine injury. So I mean, well, there we go. Um, drama going on out in Acapulco, um, but also we had, you know, the the golden swing continues out in the clay. So we had. Um, tournaments all over South America. We had Rio. Um, and <laughs> interesting enough, I guess the strangest thing to happen was Dominic Team, you know, probably, well, the second best player in the world on clay, losing to world number 128, Gianluca Magere, um, 7-6-7-5, which was unexpected, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, yeah, I think it was, I think the match was kind of rain delayed or it was kind of an overnight, um, it, it went over two days and I think team was actually down a set and I think a set and a break and you thought, okay, he can regroup overnight and then come out and, and win it the next day. But um, yeah, I think it, from from judging from his, his interview, he kind of was saying the the conditions were really tough and you know I, di- I have noticed in the golden swing they do like a late night clay court match i think like some of those matches were going on till 3 a.m and i was just like is that just like a is that like a cultural thing in in south america they just like to watch clay court matches you know past past well midnight. i guess they go out for dinner really late don't they you know their natural kind of timings for everything is always so much later than kind of I don't know, Northern Europeans, you know, it's a very like Latino thing to do everything late. But I mean, oh, I mean, Dominic team did say like, it's very difficult to play in these sorts of events because, you know, you're always getting home like in the early hours of the morning. And then it's just quite difficult to like manage that. And obviously he didn't cope well with it in this case. Um, and yeah, Gianluca Maggiere went through into was it into the final, I think he, you know, so obviously he was playing very well. He reached the final, but lost to Christian Garin, who we know is, is a very solid uh, clay court player who has won quite a, quite a couple of titles now um, of the golden swing and, and also won the Cordoba open earlier, you know, this year. So he's on a, a, a win streak of well, nine matches. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, a new a new a new player has emerged, Gianluca Maggiere, and I'm sure Dominic Team will bounce back. I don't think this is going to be I don't think this is a symbol of his clay court season no, I, for the no, rest of I the think, year. Yeah. I think it's just a to be honest, just a blip, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, I think kind of the most for me actually the story that, that stood out most from uh from Rio was the fact that we had a sixteen year old uh playing, uh Carlos Alcaraz, who was in his ATP tour debut and he beat um he beat his fellow compatriot Albert Ramos Vinolas um in the first round. Again, yeah, it went on for three hours thirty seven minutes. But uh yeah, a sixteen year old on the ATP tour winning an ATP tour match, that does not happen every day. Um I think he's uh is four hundred and sixth in the rankings, but he's got um for Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner. So obviously he's thought of very highly um, and he will be getting great experience. Yeah, I think he was the youngest player to win a a match on the Challenger Tour as well. And now he's the youngest player, I think since Rafa, um, to win, you know, an ATP Tour level match. So he's kind of making, you know, becoming the first player of his kind of generation, first player to be born in 2003, to be winning these matches at each kind of of the level on the Tour. So... Um, yeah, obviously a name that we can all look out for going forwards. 
it just yeah, it just shows you i think like i feel like when we see oh 16 year old breaks onto the tour i think like our default uh a default reaction would be something oh that would happen on the wta tour but you know it, it can happen on the atp tour as well and you know we're seeing that with i guess with Carlos Alcaraz leading the way. So we'll see if he can uh, get any more scalps um, in the later on in the season, wherever he just kind of sticks to the, the challenger events. But uh, we also had some 250s as well over the last couple of weeks in Marseille, Delray Beach and Santiago. Sissipas, uh, who, as we said, got to the final in uh, Dubai. He actually won Marseille. I think he didn't drop a set all week. I think it was very kind of very routine for him. Uh, came up against Auger Aliassime in the final, uh, yeah, and dispatched him three and four. Again, more f- more final woes for uh for FAA. Uh who needs to he needs to break that duck at some point, but it's just not it's just not happening for him at the moment, is it, Kim? No, I think in this final he played better. He was sort of performing at a at a higher level than his previous one. So I it's obviously his biggest goal now is to get to a final and actually win one, but I'm sure it will only be a matter of time. Um, wasn't there a stat like Nishikori lost about eight or nine <laughs> finals in a row? And yeah. I mean, obviously he'd won tournaments before that stage, but he went on this dreadful streak. Um, I'm pretty sure FAA will eventually break his duck. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sitsipas obviously in good form and, um, you know, that bodes well, you know, for him. And actually he won that title last year. So he's won Marseille two years in a row now. And then we had um, out in Delray Beach, Riley Apelka uh, winning that one, uh, his second title. Um, he had to play two matches in the same day, I believe, to win that one. So he was playing Milos Raonic in the semifinals. And actually, he saved a match point in uh, in that one and then played Yoshi- Yoshihito Nishioka in the final and won that in, in three sets. So I don't think he could have gone from <laughs> one more opposite to another from like a big booming six foot five sort of uh, you know massive serve opponent in in Renich to Nishioka who is who's five foot seven. So you know I think it shows Opelka had to you know he uh, you know almost kind of complete opposite side a opposite side of the side uh, to Sissipas uh, kind of almost having to have play two different strategies in in one day that that's very you know i think that's quite impressive and you know in, in a different respect to kind of you know winning a tournament you know in straight sets all the way through yeah apelka doing a feliciano lopez there two matches in one day um and then also bob and mike bryan won delray beach so that's their last um time playing at that event as this is their farewell tour um so they won the doubles event Actually, with a victory over Britain's Luke Bambridge, uh, playing with Ben McLachlan in that event. So, um, Nick, nice, nice moment for the Bryans. Um, and then out in Santiago de Chile, um, we had a new, another new name bursting onto the scene. Uh, I've never great, heard great of this. Name. Great yeah, name. Yeah, great name. Tiago Saboth Wild, or I don't know if, if it's like a German derived surname. So it would be like Wild. I, I don't know how to say this name. Listeners, please tell us how I should say this name. Um, he's Brazilian and he won his first title um, in, in three sets in the final over Casper Rudd. Um, so it's seven, five, four, six, six, three. Um, yeah. Tiago Saboth Wild is only 19. Um, he's become the youngest champion of, during the golden swing since Rafa, uh, you know, won in Acapulco in 2005. So uh, yeah, it, I'd never heard of him before, but apparently he won the US Open Juniors in 2018. So he's 
perhaps being earmarked for future success, ne- new next gen. Yeah, we we shall see. I mean, that was a that was a classic next next gen final, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Against, yeah. Casper uh, Ruud, so another one, another player adding throwing their hat into the ring into that uh, seemingly never ending, <laughs> never uh, always expanding pot of uh, pot of uh, next gen players. But uh, yeah, we'll see how he progresses as well throughout the season. But uh, I hope you can join us in a sec. Uh, we'll be back uh, to discuss all the tournaments from the WTA side. Okay, so on the WTA side, we've not actually had that many tournaments compared to the ATP side, but we have had a couple of premier events take place as well as an international event take place as well. Um, and let's let's kind of talk about the two premiers that have happened back to back. Let's start. Uh, let's let's rewind a little bit actually and go back to uh, Dubai, where uh, Simona Halep uh, won her twentieth career title. She beat. Probably the most informed player on the tour at the moment, uh, Elena Rybakina. Um, it was a real kind of tussle, actually. Went down to a, a final set tie break um, with Halep coming through 7-5 in, in that decider. Uh, Halep, yeah, really had to dig deep, actually, through the whole match. I think she was 3-1 down in, in the third set as well. But um, it just goes to show you that she is, uh, you know, she's very at home on a, on a hard court and, even against someone who is as informed as Rybakina, she was able to, to pull it through. Yeah, exactly. So it was Halep's 20th title. Um, you know, she's just proving that, you know, she is she is like Mrs. Consistent, really, isn't she? Sort of, I think for the last 10, 10 years now, um, she's been in the top 10 um, consistently. Yeah, she's, really you know, impressive. It's quite surprising, actually. I mean, I, I didn't realise she'd actually sort of been at the top of the game for so long. Um so yeah, I mean, and that just goes to show, you know, she she's always you can never sort of rule her out, and yeah, she did really well to to come through, pick up Dubai, and obviously Rybakina, yeah, she's reached in the last five events four finals, so really impressive. You know, she, her her run of form is is continuing. Her her purple patch carries on, but another sort of <laughs> really key talking point, which actually feels like ages ago now, Joel, was Kim Kleisters coming back, um, playing her first match after many, many years off the tour. Um, we thought it was going to be against Kiki Burton's, but she withdrew and it was actually Garbinia Muguruza that uh, came up against Kleisters. And I mean, the score was 6-2, 7-6, but Kleisters did a lot better than I was expecting, personally. I mean, I feel like I was a bit silly to maybe um, underrate her, like what she was going to do, but it was close. Like the second set was was pretty, pretty close. She did really well. Yeah, I think what was most impressive was how she managed that second set because I think she was a uh, you know she was a set and a breakdown and you know with someone someone coming back to the tour you you know could have easily just kind of folded there but um you know she definitely showed you know you know she still got that hunger and that appetite and you know she wasn't going to go you know she wasn't going to go quietly and um you know that that second set was a real tussle and for me you know coming back I think it was really impressive that that tie break and it, it it very easily could have gone to a third and you know Muguruza is you know again one of the you know one of the more inform you know ladies players on the tour at the moment and um you know, I'm almost quite happy that Kleist has had this sort of baptism of fire because it it really kind of did show us uh you know it, uh, that she, you know it really did kind of show the ability that she can play and um I'd be very interested to see how she gets on in her, in her next match because I think she's playing Monterey this week uh, and she's got Conta um, in the in the first round. So 
again, I feel like that's, I mean, that's conflict probably is, winnable for Clijsters. Yeah, I know. Conte's exactly. really not doing very well at the moment. Exactly. With Conte's number, number two seed there. So, you know, if Clijsters yeah. takes out Conte, you know, she could have a, a good, a good draw to, um, you know, potentially even to the final. Who knows? But um, <laughs> Imagine if she won it, that would be something. <laughs> she wins her second tournament back. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw actually Conte's playing doubles with Svitolina um, in Monterey, which is uh, mm. So she she wants to get as much game yeah, time exactly. as possible. Exactly. Um, but yeah, we've had a bit of controversy also in, in Dubai. Um, Darren Cahill, I think, on, on Twitter was sort of, um, I don't know, brought this to to the attention. It's the prize money, um, you know, the sort of spread of it across the different, you know, um, the different rounds. So, you know, winner, finalist, semi-finalist, quarter-finalist. The, the distribute the, the, the the split between the amount received by the quarterfinalists and the semi-finalists was an astronomical leap. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Semi-finalists it. getting four times more than the quarterfinalists. That does not seem a fair distribution. You know, they really need to fix like the breakdown of the prize money because you know it's, it's almost it's, yeah. It's, it's almost it's, looking at the um, looking looking at them. It's almost two separate tournaments. It's like winner, finalist, semi-finalists. You know. and a quarterfinalist second round first round it's like $50,000 or below it feels like you know it almost feels like that prize money is uh you know what at one level is like an international event and the other end is a grand slam level also for the first round you get just one point one ranking point it just seems like just such a i mean just just one congestion yeah it's like they might as well not bother giving any um yeah it just seems like it's ludicrously screwed um i think dubai it's more extreme uh skew than in other events and i just think you know they need to make it consistently you know more of an equitable sort of split across the across the tour um but yes i mean because i know at grand slams they've improved it so it's a bit fairer but at the wta tournaments like they need to still do a bit of work on that one um but anyway what else have we had um in the wta we had doha premier event uh just last week and we had arena sabalenka winning that one uh, she's actually on a bit of a roll she's won three titles now in the last six months um two of which were premier events uh she won wuhan last year um and yeah she beat kivita in the final six three six three pretty much, you know, just massively outplayed. I didn't let Kvitova kind of play her own game. And yeah, I mean, very impressive from from Sabalenka. She, uh, Dimitri Tersonov was back, uh, back with her. I think they'd had a bit of a break. So obviously that kind of spurred her on. But um, yeah, she just overpowered Kvitova and another yeah, title I mean, in, her, in her belt. Yeah, two, two, probably two of the biggest, potentially most destructive uh, women's players on a tennis court. And uh, sounds like Sa- Sabalenka won the battle. I mean, I think Kvitova beat Barty in the semi-finals. She so, did, yeah. Um, so, you know, she had a you know a good a good turnout just on on the day. I think uh, I think she admitted actually that just Sabalenka just did not enable me to play to play my game. So, uh, yeah, but certainly two good players um, that will be going into. Indian Wells with a bit of form behind them uh, a doubles pairing also who are going to be who are going to be going into Indian Wells with a lot of form behind them are Sue Shui sorry and Barbara Stritzkova who are 17 and 1 on the season and they won the the doubles in Doha as well 
and they've actually completed the Middle Eastern sweep. So they won uh, Dubai won... and Doha. So yeah, yeah and also Shay or Shway, <laughs> Shay, um, she will become world number one. Um, so as, as we were saying, I think on an earlier pod, you know, Mladenovic and Babosh, and then Shay and Tr- Skritskva are like. You know, they keep battling out basically for the number one spot in the doubles at the moment. And Shay is going to overtake Mladenovic to kind of go back to doubles number one. Um, well, she has done today, actually. Um, but I guess most notably, especially for British fans, Joel, Acapulco, Heather Watson has won a tournament. I know. Um, out of fantastic the blue. News. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic yeah, news. Yeah, really, really good. Um, so it's her fourth title. And actually, interestingly, her last one, was also in Mexico, um, but in Monterey in 2016. So it's been a long while, you know, four four years since she won a title. Um, she played um, Leila Annie Fernandez in the final, who is, you know, a very young up-and-coming Canadian player, still only 17 years old. Um, and in fact, it was a bit of a battle uh, in the final. Heather had a many... Ten- 10 match points. Many match points, yeah. uh, including five in the second set tie break. Yeah. So she did really well to, you know, actually get over the line in the end. Uh, I, you know, yeah. just... I completely agree because I think the old Heather Watson would have lost that second set and then just folded in the third set, you know, 6-1 or 6-2. But actually she just blew, you know, she blew her opponent away in that final set. I think she won it uh, 6-1. Um, so, yeah, I think she's now back into the top 50 who knows? Who? Uh, uh, where's this, where does this stop? Could she be seeded for the French Open? I mean, this the she's had a really good season so far, going back to you know back to Hobart, and uh, I mean, this is just almost like the icing on the cake at the moment. And um, uh, it's yeah, she's probably the most informed British player at the moment. And even though kind of Conta is you know higher than her in the rankings, you know, arguably, well, I'm, I'm not even saying arguably, Heather Watson is playing the best tennis at the moment yeah for sure i think she's gone back to 49 in the rankings which you know isn't far off her career high of 38 um but yeah heather watson is is yeah she's she's in form and she i mean wouldn't it be fantastic if she could i mean it would be fantastic if she could get up to a ranking that was higher than you know her previous career best um i mean Actually, one of our listeners um, at Safari Brit posed a question to us, Joel. Um, He said, you know, out of all the Brits, who do we see kind of going deeper in the slams for the rest of the year? Um, It's quite hard to say. Um, I mean, I would say for the men's side. Cameron Norrie. I'm joking. I'm joking. I (laughs) I would say Dan Evans. However... If I actually had to put money on a player going deeper, I would still put my money on Kyle, even though, you know, okay, Dan Ooh. is currently higher Ooh. ranked. I just think Kyle, you know, has that experience of going to the semifinals of a Grand Slam. Interesting. So if he's going to put a run together and play lights out tennis for a week and a half, I think Kyle would end up going further. But I mean, this all depends on his like confidence. Um, as for the women, Oh, again, I would, I mean, Heather Watson in form, but if, if Conta could, you know, she kind of, we weren't expecting her to do what she did in the three slams last year. So oh, it's very difficult. <laughs> I'm on the well, fence. Well, do you know who, I, I, I'm, I know who I'm going to go for and it's, it's someone you haven't mentioned. 
it's 100% going to be Joe Salisbury, who I think oh, is just going to yes. have massive success in the, in the Grand Slam. Grand Slam champion. Grand oh, Slam yeah. champion uh, with Rajiv Ram. Uh, yeah. But certainly in the singles, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, um, I think all eyes will be on Heather Watson more so than Conta. Maybe that will suit Conta. I'm not sure on, on the women's side. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, for me in terms of the men, I'd say I'd still probably back Dan Evans over Kyle Edmund. I just think, I still think there is a little bit of, frailness maybe to to Edmund you know I think there's still I still think he's got a bit of a job to do whereas I think Evans has got a bit more still got a bit more consistency a bit more form but although um, you know Edmund has won two titles on the ATP tour like he has actually won stuff I mean no offense to Dan um but it it's like an Unless Dan actually, I think that obviously that's his next goal, isn't it? To win an ATP title. I know last year he had a match point to do it in, I think, Delray Beach and fell at the the final hurdle. But I mean, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's great that we, we're having this debate about who would go further because, you know, a couple of years back, it would just be Andy Murray and literally no one else. So, um, you know, it's good that we obviously have other options. Okay, we are back. And yes, Kim, I do have a mysterious player for you and for our listeners as well. Are you ready? I am. Please, please go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I was making this on my lunch break at work and I was like oh, brimming, brimming with joy whilst I was writing the, the clues. Uh, so I will start you off with clue number one. I was born on the 29th of May, 1978. Oh, okay. 1978. Right. So they are 41. Going to be 42 this year, if, if my maths is correct. <laughs> okay. Um, yep. Carry on. I, I can't get it okay. from this, I'm yep. afraid. <laughs> I turned pro in 1996. Turned pro in 1996. Hmm. Leighton Hewitt? No, he's not that old, is he? No, he's no. a few years younger. No. Must be sort of similar era. Um, it is a similar era. It is a similar era. Mario got, Amcic. Oh, that is a good guess, oh, but incorrect. Okay, okay. Next right. clue. Next clue. I have a career high ranking of world number four. Marat Safin? Oh! <gasps> No. Oh. <laughs> Wait, no, I think he was he was world number one anyway, wasn't he? Oh. Um Oh, uh Davidenko. It's Is he that not, old? No. It's not Davidenko. Oh, I mean it could be a female player, I've just gone down the male route. Um uh, Tommy Robredo. It's not Tommy Robredo. Oh, I mean you're hundred percent in Robredo. the you're in the hundred percent in the right era and uh, right gender. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Ferrero, Juan Carlos. Not no. Carlos Moya. Nope. I'm going to give you another clue. Okay, sorry. I have reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open, the French Open, and Wimbledon. Thomas Johansson. No. Oh, um. And I think he got to Wimbledon semi-finals twice. Oh gosh, Philippusis. I know he got to a final, didn't he? Um, I've got, I think I've got four more clues left for you. Okay. um, Ivan Lubacic? Nope. Oh, (laughs) Oh, you are so (laughs) in the right era, but it's just like not the right player. (laughs) Um, 
Okay, next clue. <laughs> next clue. I led by two sets to love and had a match point in the Australian Open semi-final 2001, but went on to lose in five against my compatriot, Arnaud Clement. So he's French. Um, and, and, and just and just to add, on Wikipedia, they, they said this was the biggest choke in history up until uh, like 2004 or, or something. Oh, oh gosh. Um, oh, uh, oh, a French player. Oh, oh, uh, I mean, I, Fabrice Santoro. Oh, it's not correct. It's not February Santoro. No, because he never got to semi-finals, did he? Um, <sighs> Maybe in doubles. Mikhail Lodra. <laughs> I can't think it's of any Lodra. French players. Okay, I've got a few, uh, oh, I've got a few um, more. Okay, no, I was going to say Julian Benito, but he did not get to the... He, <laughs> right. I, I'm just... I'm struggling. Okay, I've got a few mm, more clues. Just, okay. I think we'll give it... These Certainly, I've got three more. <laughs> Two will, I think, give it away. Okay. Uh, but I will give you this one. I perhaps should have given you this one first. I reached the final of Queens both in 2003 and 2004. Oh, do you know what? I when when I hear who this player is, I will be like, "Oh, I know that person," but I just can't. And, and, and just adding to that, actually, I'm pretty sure this person beat Tim Henman at Wimbledon. Ooh. That wasn't a clue, but I'm mm. pretty sure that happened. French player. Is this person involved in sort of media now? Do, do they do mm, anything? No, yes, they are involved in tennis though. Oh, it's not in media. Um, how am I not getting this person when I've literally named a lot of their fellow compatriots? I feel like our listeners are shouting right at you right now. <laughs> what the answer is. Oh, next clue. I'm I'm sorry, but I've I've never French players are not my my forte. Um. In December 2018, I was named French Davis Cup captain. Uh... <laughs> that doesn't help, does it? That doesn't help, does it? Oh, no. I, I, I can... Uh, I want to... No. Um, I want to say people like Guy Forget, but he's way too old. Um, who is this player? Okay, I'm going to give you the final clue. Okay, yes, please. It's just like a, it's just like a, it's not a stat or anything. It's just I am known for wearing my baseball cap backwards on tennis court. Oh, it's um, oh, it's oh, I I just can't. I can picture his face. I just can't think of his name. He's sort of got funny teeth, hasn't he? In in the nicest possible way. Does he have sort of funny teeth? I, I, I loved his jumping, double-handed, <laughs> double-handed backhand. I just can't think of his name. Oh, I can picture his face. He's got sort of dark hair, isn't he? Um, yes, and I don't think oh, he would do very well in this era. I think he's quite—he's not that tall. Oh, what's his name? Oh. I'm going to give you a countdown. <laughs> can you give me like it. a clue for like the letter or something? Uh, no, I don't think I'm not going to stretch. <laughs> oh that. no, I oh. The, Three, yeah, sorry. I can't two, think of his name. I can picture his face. Oh. Sebastian Grosjean. That's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. I can picture his face. But you know what? I wouldn't have. Um... Yeah. I thought oh. I was like a 
Yeah, that's I'm a good one. Sure. Yeah, you really got me. I think that's the first time like not, neither of us have been able to get one. So, listeners, I'm sure you did a lot better than me. Um, <laughs> right, let's, let's move oh. swiftly on. Yeah. Let's move swiftly mm. on. Uh, so, so, what else has been happening off court? Uh, so, we've had Maria Sharapova has announced her retirement. Um, she did it in a Vanity Fair article. Uh, she didn't call like a media conference, but announced it in a, in a news, in a non-tennis kind of publication, which I think is totally kind of like Maria Sharapova. But, um, <laughs> Vanity Fair, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's obviously um, planned, you know, and they were just going to release it. Mm. You know, it's obviously sort of planned to to do it in that obviously, way obviously felt that she can she can go on i mean we all know that you know her shoulder injuries you know she was obviously come you know i felt like she was on a comeback for like the last you know couple of years and it's just never it just never really materialized and uh yeah she's she's called it quits with uh immediate effect uh in terms of playing you know tennis at, at the very highest at the very highest level yeah i think we didn't maybe know the extent of the um the injury like how much pain she was actually in um but yeah it, it's it was kind of inevitable i suppose because her ranking had really really dropped she wasn't she sort of 300 something in the world you know it just seemed like she would never kind of get back to to where she, she was and she's gonna, if she would have carried on she would have had to just lived on wild cards and... yeah exactly and i don't see her slugging away at you know i mean like wta one two five k events or and, and you know just mm. i you know you can't see her on that to. level can you I mean, she's won all four grand she, she won all four grand slams in her career she obviously was world number one you know she's had a very successful career by the numbers on the tennis court but i think you know this, the thing with someone like sharpova is i think for her what she kind of brought to the tool was the fact that you know tennis is uh, you know, she was an individual that kind of w- almost was about, you know, the on-court performances as much as the off-court stuff as well in terms of, you know, the biz- you know the business side, you know, the fact that she, you know, did like a Harvard degree or a Harvard business degree or, or you know, she just kind of like was an individual that I think um, offered a lot, you know, offered a lot more beyond just kind of tennis, essentially. Yeah, she, you know, is a personality like off the court as well, you know, people who aren't necessarily into tennis know her name. So she's kind of transcended um, the sport and obviously earned a lot of money. Um, you know, her career is also quite interesting because of her her ban for, you know, the, the ban substance that she sort of, well, you know, it's a very difficult, you know, she was... Does you that know, tarnish her legacy, do you well, think? Well, yeah, because she was taking it for many years when it was legal. It was an approved substance. Um, she said that she was taking it for, you know, a heart condition, but it was obviously made illegal by the WTA and she kept on taking it. And then, you know, she kind of said, sorry, I didn't realise, you know, it was it was a like admin error essentially, but obviously they still gave her, you know, a ban and then she's never been quite the same, you know, when she's come back from that and obviously with the shoulder injuries. So it's, yeah, it's been not easy. And I, I don't really want to sort of pass judgment on that, I think, but like she will be remembered and, you know, she did win all four slams and, and as you said, world number one, also a silver medal at the Olympics, which I'd forgotten about. Um, Fed Cup winner. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, it's probably a natural, she's 32. I think she's got involved in a lot of other things. I think I heard that she wanted to go and study like architecture um, and, you know, it's time for her to do other things. And I'm sure, you know, she's obviously got her sugar pover business. So a bit like Wozniacki, it's sort of like, maybe this would have been a natural point for her to to end her career now anyway, because it's time to kind of 
for the next stage of her life to to begin um yeah, and i think tone of it it feels like this like this is the end this is not a oh i will come back in a few years time like a like a king cloisters it definitely felt like a quite um you know there's there's sort of a nice kind of finality to it you know i put a statement out there let's kind of move on i think she's kind of said that you know she won't be necessarily play you know playing tennis but she could conceivably see herself doing something else in in the tennis world i don't know if that's kind of coaching or you know broadcasting or 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 whatever but i think certainly you know we haven't seen the last of maria sharapova in in the tennis world i just think we've seen the loss of her probably playing you know at a competitive level on a tennis court yeah she could probably come back for some exhibitions but yeah perhaps she'll be i don't know fed cup captain or something in in years to come um but let's talk about some of players that have not yet retired, but I don't know, maybe will be in the not too distant future. Um, Roger Federer, he's had surgery uh, on his knee, which um, is ruling him out until the grass courts. So he had it, I think, on his right knee, which has been apparently bothering him for a while. And he had arthroscopic surgery. Um, it's got to miss uh, everything up until, well, beyond the French Open. So, um I guess, you know, he he seemed to be struggling, didn't he, at the Australian Open? But I don't think he said then that it was the knee, but maybe it was. He just wasn't alluding to that. Um, so he's out for a bit, which is a shame. Uh, but I guess, you know, he's got to focus really on, on the Olympics, which is the one thing that's eluding him, you know, the gold singles medal. So this seems like a logical thing to do at a point in the season where, you know, he's probably not too fussed about the clay for example. Um, and then Andy Murray as well, still off court, still wondering def- what's going yeah. on with, with him. It feels like, like Federer has told us he aims to be back for the grass court season, but I feel like with Murray, it's a, it's a lot more indefinite. Like it's almost like by month by month. Um, and it feels like at the moment he's like in a, a race, unfortunately in a race against time to get fit for Wimbledon. Yeah, it seems like he might have to have another sort of small surgery um, on his hip. Uh, I think he's suffering possibly with some inflammation as a side effect of the the surgery that he had before. Um, So I think he has to wait a couple of weeks before he knows if he can do that surgery or not. Um, So, yeah, it's a matter of waiting and seeing. And I mean, really hope that he's going to come back as soon as possible. But obviously he has to take it slow and, and listen to all the advice and you know it would be great if we can see him on the grass I don't, I don't know if it would be realistic to to see him anytime before then but it's just a, a waiting game uh frustrating but you know hopefully he'll he'll bounce back again as, as he has uh before uh and Joel I mean that's all a bit negative isn't it injuries so let's let's <laughs> not a positive down, story <laughs> injuries retirements oh um yeah positive story Madison Keys has created a new initiative called Kindness Wins um which uh is a collaborative engine for kindness with special emphasis on kindness to self kindness to youth and kindness to others in times of struggle both on and off the field um so she's trying to embrace positivity and like provide a platform to kind of encourage everyone, both inside and outside of the world of sports, to just kind of share and spread kindness. Um, she did have sort of a bit of an initiative a few years ago, uh, Fearlessly Girl, which was sort of aiming aiming to like empower young girls. But she's now created something new. So I think you can go to kindnesswins.org to check 
out more about that. But yeah, that's a nice, like, positive thing that she's trying to do. And the world needs more kindness. You know, it might sound cliche, but it's true. And um, yeah, I think it's a really nice thing that she's doing. Definitely. And if, and hey, if Madison Keys wants to come on the podcast and to talk about this it, initiative, yeah. she's yeah, <laughs> we're more than welcome to have her on. And actually, if, if any of our listeners know any tennis players and want to get them and co- could get them on the podcast, we'd more than happily kind of cater for them. We are like looking to get more people in to tell us their stories in the tennis world. And that includes getting our first ever tennis player on. Who knows? We we try we're trying at the moment, but uh yeah, if anyone if anyone can help out on that front, let us know. You can contact us um on of course on, on social media, uh Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at passing shot pod. You can also email us as well, uh passing shot pod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back uh, in around a week's time. Uh, we'll be doing a Indian Wells special preview episode, looking at the fifth Grand Slam and the the men's draws and the and the women's draws. So, hope you can join us for that. Then, um, remember to subscribe to us if you really enjoyed listening to this episode. Subscribe to us on the on your plug podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify google podcast whatever you listen and if you really enjoy the show and you're listening to us on apple make sure you leave us a rating and comment uh because we would really much uh, appreciate that um but for now uh i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode but thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>